Welcome to Claim the Stage, a podcast for women who want to discover, awaken, and create their voice through the art of public speaking. I'm your host, Angela Lucier, award-winning professional speaker, author, and CEO and founder of Speaker Sisterhood, a network of public speaking clubs for women. Welcome, everyone, to episode 119. I'm scared and doing it anyway with Lori Ostrovsky. Oh my gosh, this episode. So many gems in here. Again, I think you should just create a notebook if you haven't yet that has claimed the stage on the cover. (laughs) You can just write that on there and then make notes from all of these episodes. There's so much to be learned from Lori and her life story that I just feel like this could be life-changing for you if you really take her advice. Lori Ostrovsky helps women leap, and her clients are striving A students and anxious introverts wanting to feel more comfortable putting themselves out there in a bigger way, including their own businesses. Her books are Simply Leap, Seven Lessons on Facing Fear and Enjoying the Crap Out of Your Life. (laughs) It's awesome. And I'm Scared and Doing It Anyway, which is a book about reinventing her own life after being diagnosed with a brain tumor. She writes, she speaks, and she hugs at simplyleap.com. And I'm going to put the links to her Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter in the show notes so you can find her at Simply Leap. Lori shares so much in this episode about her experience with her brain tumor, how it changed her life, how it got her to be scared and do things anyways. And she gives tips on how to do things that scare you, mistakes people make, how it has what she's learned about herself as a result of doing things that scare her, and so much more. She also reveals the core trait you have to be able to access to do things that scare you, and I think her answer will surprise you. This episode is sponsored by Told Video, original, thoughtful storytelling for your brand, here to help you with your next step in marketing, a meaningful video. Let your story out into the world and get it told. Contact Rebecca, the owner, through June 1st to receive a pack of four 15-second social media videos along with your full video. Reach out for a free phone consultation and quote and to find out more at toldvideo.com. All right, on to the interview with Lori Ostrovsky. All right. I'd like to welcome Lori Ostrovsky to the program today. This is a very exciting interview. We have so much to cover today. Lori, thank you for being here. Oh, thank you, Angela. I'm thrilled. We have, I don't know, like, I think we could probably talk for 12 hours. I just finished reading your book, I'm Scared and Doing It Anyway. And I kind of wish I finished it yesterday because I want to cry right now. (laughs) And I may cry through this interview because you're such a beautiful writer and your story is so beautifully written and told. And I just can't wait to get into it. So before we jump into all the things I want to ask you about being scared and doing it anyway, I'd love for you to just start by telling your story and how you ended up here. Yeah, thank you. Well, it means a lot for you to say that. So the way I put it is that I've spent most of my life trying desperately to be the A student and trying to make my parents happy and my teachers happy and my bosses happy and not disappoint anyone and do quote unquote the right things. And then at 28, I was, I thought I had an ear infection and I went to the doctor as an A student thinking like, oh, I'm, I'm being, you know, I'm taking care of my health and I'm going to the doctor and I'm finding out what's wrong and all of this and learned 
really suddenly that I had a brain tumor. As someone who had been healthy her whole life and done all the right things and at 28 was just staring at the screen and looking at this giant white blob, which is was the size of a golf ball by the time they found it. And I think really what you're asking for is kind of what happened in the hospital. So, you know, I talk about how in the book that, you know, you can go along where everything is fine and then you realize that, you know, you don't have really control over anything. But I found a lot of control within the hospital, within my hospital bed, and that really propelled me forward. So what happened in the hospital was I had, I needed multiple surgeries in order to remove the the tumor. And after my third surgery, after contracting meningitis, in addition to the brain tumor, I was in the ICU one day and must have felt pretty peppy because the the nurse that came in, who I don't ever remember seeing again, so everyone can draw their own conclusions about that. I asked her about this cylinder that was sitting next to me on my on my pillow in the ICU. And I was like, you know, what is this for? Because I've seen this now for three surgeries, this being the third one. And, and it really didn't make sense to me why this thing was there. And she's like, oh, it's a drain. And I looked at her dumbfounded and thought, this is this, this cylinder. I was like, oh, the, it's a drain. Is it supposed to be for all of this? And at the time, and all of this is on the side of my head, on the right side of my head. I had an acoustic neuroma, which is a tumor that lodges itself in your inner ear. And it was in my right inner ear, wedged between my facial nerve, my balance nerve, and my hearing nerve on the right side. And on the right side of my head at that moment was just fluid, was, had filled my face and my head only on the right side. So the left side of my face was totally fine the right side of my face and head was so swollen, it was like a balloon. There were no lines on my face. And it was taut to the touch. And so when the nurse had said, what's, you know, you said that this was a drain that was hooked into my incision, it was like, there was this just moment of clarity for me around, oh, you mean all of this, this fluid that's filling up my head is supposed to be in this drain because the drain had been empty the two previous surgeries and was empty again as she was checking it that morning. And it was in that moment that I realized that I actually had something to do with that, that, that drain being empty. Because as I said, I'm an A student and I had convinced myself really early on that the, that there must be a way to be an A student while being in a hospital bed. And that was trying to excel beyond what people expected a, the patient to be, for, you know, for me to be as a patient. And so I think when the drain was originally empty after my first surgery and they removed it, I took that as a good sign. I took, took that as, oh, if they take something out, that means that I'm one step closer to being out of here, to being out of this ward, to being into the more normal ward and then being out and home. And this is the whole point. I just want to be healthy. I just want to get out of here. And, and then in this moment, after the third surgery, I'm finding, well, actually, it's the opposite, that, the, that this fluid is supposed to be in the drain. Because what would happen when the drain was empty was that after I would come home from the surgeries, I'd have to go back. 
and get a, a spinal tap, which is, if anyone has had that, is just awful. They basically drain the fluid from, from my brain. They were draining the fluid out through my spine. And, and the only reason they had to do that to bring down the swelling was because the drain hadn't worked while I was in the hospital. And so this day, in this moment, after my third surgery, you know, this, this moment that the nurse and I had, I realized, oh gosh, now maybe, maybe my thoughts, like maybe this, this, how I convinced myself that the drain being empty was a good thing, that this cylinder being empty was a good thing because whatever it was, they took it off. And then I was, well, like maybe all of that was false. And if all of that was false and it was due to my thinking, what would happen if I thought differently? If I let the drain do what it was supposed to do? And so, so that day for the first time, the drain filled and the drain filled all day long and my face and swelling went down. I didn't need a spinal tap. And when the nurse came back a few hours later, we just had another moment of this was something, something happened here. And that was the moment when I decided that if I could help people recognize the power that they're sitting on to affect change in their life based solely on what they think is possible, because that's really the only thing that changed in that moment is what I thought was possible. And if this could happen in a physical, if I had physical proof of this from the drain, what did that mean in every other aspect of my life? And how could I help other people recognize that power that we're all sitting on? Hmm. How difficult was it for you to change your mind about how easy or difficult it was to fill the drain? <laughs> Luckily, that part was easy. And I think that part of it, I think that real life is harder than it was in the, in the ICU. And I think part of it is, you know, I couldn't do a lot else. I, I couldn't even watch TV. I couldn't look at my phone. I, it just, I just got headaches and stuff from it. So life was so simple at that moment. Life was really, really simple. And so I think that real life, we're bombarded by so many other messages and we don't, we don't take a lot of time and, and presence to, to think through things. So I think in that moment, it was easier. It was like, it was a light bulb moment. It was a perfect light bulb moment. Mm -hmm. So tell me more about what happened as time went on, maybe as you started to recover and how your, your mindset shifted as a result of this, this tumor, this blob. <laughs> yeah. Well, really what happened was I, I just felt a new lease on life. I mean, I had faced something scarier than I ever thought was possible. I mean, at, at 28, I, you know, I had the feeling like pretty, you know, I felt pretty invincible and then suddenly faced like mortality, faced like the reality of like, gosh, this is a really precious thing we have, life. And so the things that I thought were scary, like quitting your job or moving or traveling to foreign countries or anything, you know, like anything I thought was scary before is so less scary, scary when you face the ultimate scary stuff like being in the hospital. And so, and I, I want to say that all of us, no matter how long you've lived, have moments like this. You don't have to have a brain tumor to have this, but we have these moments where suddenly the light turns on and 
our entire life looks different from this point forward. And it can be, can be positive. It can be having a baby or getting married. It can, but it can also be loss of a job or divorce or anything. But we have these, these light bulb moments, these moments where everything shifts after. And I think mine was this. And so I decided to do the things that I had been scared of before. I went to art school because I'd always been curious about it. I quit my job. I studied to be a coach. I, you know, started my business. I started traveling around the world. I, you know, it just, I was just like, well, I might as well just do it all. (laughs) Yeah. I want to comment on one theme I noticed throughout the book and just get your take on it. I think it started as early as page 13, where you talked about how your brain moved over to accommodate the tumor by your right ear. And you noticed that you also had a tendency to accommodate others in your life. And then as as it goes farther into the book, you talk about taking care of those around you and wanting to make sure that the the nursing staff and doctors felt like you were being a good patient and trying to be accommodating toward them. And I wonder, were you conscious of that as this was going on? Or is it you know, when you went to to sit down and write the book and reflect upon the experience that you started to realize how accommodating you were and how has that changed who you are today? Yeah, I think that I didn't realize it until I went back to write the book because in the moment that was what survival looked like to me. Survival meant you know, and, and you're in a hospital, you're in a gown, <laughs> you know, you're, that is the ultimate kind of survival moment. And so I had been taught probably for a very young age that like, if you do your best, if you're a good student or a good patient, that you're going to be treated better. You're going to get the respect and love and acceptance and an attention that you need. And so this is a, you know, and so I went completely into survival mode, which is why I was, I had turned up the dial on accommodating and being a good patient so much when I was in the hospital. I think it wasn't until after when I was writing and I, and I didn't write this book until seven or eight years after the tumor. I needed that much time to kind of have distance enough to process it and really see, oh, that's what this is. Ha-. You know, I, I saw the same theme that, that you saw, but only from distance. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about afterwards becoming a speaker and starting to talk about this and, and sharing your philosophy on being scared and doing it anyway. How has that philosophy and that outlook connected you to more people and changed the way that you present yourself in your work? Yeah. So so the, the story that I tell about that is, and I'll tell it really shortly, but that you know, I was on this bus between New York and Washington D.C., which I I had moved to a few years after the tumor, and I was on this on the bus, like staring out the window in New Jersey, and had this image come to mind of standing on a stage. And as an introvert, and as a fairly shy introvert growing up, I would never have pictured myself on a stage. I never wanted to be on one, um, and so this was a kind of an original thing for me to suddenly pop into my mind and. I, I had this image of me speaking on stage and I kind of asked myself the question, well, what are you speaking on? And the, and the answer was, oh, of course, I'm speaking on how my brain tumor can change your life. Hmm. And up until that point, because this is a couple years after my, the tumor and coming out of that, and I should say that I'm okay now, which, <laughs> so if anybody's worried, I'm, I'm well now. But you know, a few years later, I had never really talked about the tumor. So the people in my life, friends and family knew about it. But I had built a coaching business and had clients and had a website and everything and nothing mentioned the brain tumor, even though being in the hospital was the, 
was the inspiration for me getting into this work. And one of the reasons why, and I think, I think the accommodating thing can kind of relate to this too. One of the reasons why I hadn't brought it up was because I didn't want people to pity me. I didn't want people to look at me like, oh, oh my God, you had a brain tumor. When in fact, I realized in this moment of looking out the window and kind of imagining myself on stage that I was actually doing a disservice. I was doing a disservice to myself and my clients by not saying that I had a brain tumor and that this was the inspiration. Because when you say something like heart attack, breast cancer, brain tumor, some, you know, there are, there are things that you can say that you get an extra five minutes of someone's time. Like people pay attention and what can we do? What are the real conversations that we can have when someone is that honest with you and that open? And I mean, even in a one-on-one working relationship. And so, so in that moment I decided, okay, I'm going to talk about the brain tumor because I really want to have this conversation about the power that we're all sitting on to affect change in our lives. And so a couple weeks later, I mean, it was just almost right away, I applied to speak at this Ignite Talk, which is, it's a shortened TED Talk. It's a 10 minutes long. And and I had never spoken before. And it turns out that night, 450 people were in the audience. And I was so nervous. I hid in the bathroom before, totally thinking that I was going to throw up before I got on stage. But I got on stage. And one of the things that I talked about is in how my brain tumor will change your life is that, is that it, we learn about fear. And, and exactly what I was just saying, you know, that when, when you face something really scary, the things that used to be scary are so not anymore. And then I talked about that I was scared of speaking and that, you know, and, and there was this moment where behind me was a slide that had Braveheart, an image of, from Braveheart when he's got the blue paint all over his face mm-hmm. and he's in the raw, you know, like the full on raw <laughs> moment. And then I added a bubble around his head that, that said, I'm scared and doing it anyway. So in the middle of my speech, I said, I'm on stage tonight because I'm scared and doing it anyway. You know, like, and so I, I put my arms up in the air and then what happened with the people in the state, like everybody else did the same thing right back to me. Everybody in the audience roared back and, (laughs) and, you know, as an introvert, you know, like as a shy person, it's like, whoa, oh my God, like it worked. And, and then I got off stage and the rest of the night, people kept coming up to me and saying, I'm scared and doing it anyway, too. I'm scared and doing it anyway. And that I noticed that like, there's something powerful when we go first and somebody goes first to say like, what's true for them and what's vulnerable with them. And then it opens the door for other people to be vulnerable and scared and honest too. I love that. And I, I totally agree being a speaker too, sharing stories like that, that they can really transform the audience when they see someone else who's doing it and doing things that scare them and, you know, living through it. So what has changed for you as you've started doing things that scare you? I'm, well, I notice that I'm scared more often. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that it's kind of a normal occurrence to feel really uncomfortable. And it's actually funny because I have to remind myself of this story. I mean, one of the reasons to do podcast interviews is to remind myself, like, you've already figured this out. Why are you feeling scared all over again? And like, 
falling into the same trap that you did before the tumor, which is like, oh my God, this is so scary. I better not do it. Um, (laughs) I feel like I have to talk myself through it all over again. Like, no, 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 keep going. (laughs) (laughs) What could you share a couple tips on how to do things that scare you? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So the first thing is to recognize that fear is a good sign that it's a sign that you're on the right track. Because if you were choosing really safe, if you were choosing things that were not scary, I mean, if you're choosing something that isn't scary, it means that it's safe. If you're choosing something that you really want, that the risk of not getting this thing, that you're, you know, that it feels like a risk and that you're, that you really want this thing, that's when fear shows up. Fear shows up and it feels that way because you really want this thing that's in front of you. And, and so take it as a sign that you're on the right track when you feel this. Like, oh, that means I should keep going because I'm on, you know, because this is a sign that I really want this. Mm. And not getting it would mean something to me. Okay. So fear actually means keep going. Yeah. And, and I guess that, yeah, no, exactly. Right. Which is why I have to have a conversation with myself often. Um, The second thing that I would say is the treat and Elizabeth Gilbert, if, if people have read or listened to big magic, she has a great metaphor that she uses around fear. But the, the one, the one that I use is to consider fear like a five-year-old that you're walking to their first day of school. And if, you know, because I think that we're more likely to treat ourselves like a mean parent or a mean teacher, like buck up, you know, like be fearless. And I think that that's crap. I think that fearlessness really isn't, isn't a fair judgment of ourselves. Like, oh, you should, you shouldn't feel this way at all. You shouldn't feel scared at all. Well, no, actually it's totally normal to feel that way. And if you were a five-year-old, if you're walking a five-year-old to their first day of school, what would you do for them? You wouldn't say, buck up, you shouldn't be feeling this way. You would say, oh my gosh, I'm sorry that I know that you're nervous, but it's going to be a great day. And remember, I packed this awesome snack for you and it's going to be so good. And then you'd walk them inside. Maybe you'd help them sit at their chair and say, look, that looks like a nice little kid over there. Don't you want to talk to them? Or your teacher seems nice. And like you get them acclimated before you leave. Of course, the kid would still have to go into school. You wouldn't turn back and you wouldn't tell them that their feelings don't matter. You would, you would just help them get settled in and feel a little less scared so they could keep going. Well, as adults, we need the same thing and our fears need to hear the same thing. It's okay. It's going to be all right. We've got a good snack. This person looks nice. And, you know, like, why don't you just, you know, take one step and see what happens? Yes, I totally agree. And I love that you keep on bringing snacks into it because I do think that's really important. (laughs) What kind of mistakes do you see people make when it comes to taking action when fear is present? Yeah, I think there is a lot, a lot of us are, you know, we have, we have really good instincts and, and I would assume that the folks that listen to your podcast have, you know, have learned to trust their instincts, which is great. The thing is that we get to choose what we believe the story is when something happens. So we, we ultimately shape the story that we tell ourselves about what's happening. So, so actually, let me just say, one of the biggest things that I learned from being in the hospital and having a brain tumor is that no matter what's happening around us, we have choices. 
We get to choose what we tell ourselves about what's happening, the words that we use, how we feel about it, the people we surround ourselves with, and ultimately how we handle the situation. And so I think, I think one of the mistakes that people can make is by instead of telling themselves like, oh, fear is a good sign, it's like we can tell ourselves, oh, fear is a bad sign. So if I'm scared, I shouldn't be doing it. I should go in the other direction. And I think that that's probably the biggest mistake is that we take it for the incorrect sign. Mm, I totally agree. Do you think there's a core trait that you have to be able to access to do things that scare you? I love this question because I think most people would assume courage. And I think the core trait that we really need is patience, Mm. patience with ourselves, like you would with that five-year-old you're walking into school. Patience is probably the best thing that you can have with that five-year-old. It's probably the best thing we can have with ourselves. Patience with ourselves, the feelings that we feel, patience that we don't have it all figured out yet, that we don't know three steps ahead, patience that things will work out because they have before, patience that help arrives when we need it, that there are going to be good days and bad days, because, because patience that we only need to do one step. There's so much, I think, that if we slow ourselves down, just like I did in the hospital bed, actually, we slow ourselves down, the answers become easier and we are so much nicer to ourselves. That's so true. (laughs) I think patience is a great answer. And I also think compassion is an important Mm -hmm. component of that too. Just to stop beating ourselves up for feeling fear because it's such a natural physiological response. And yet I think sometimes it can feel like oh, so annoying. Stop it. I don't want to be scared. I just want to get past this. But instead saying, actually, this is a normal response. Let me sit with this and feel this and have a snack with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hang out. And, and I think that, I think that social media is great in a lot of ways and it can be a disservice to us because, you know, all the memes that are there like, yeah, you got this go hustle, you know, that sounds like everybody else has like, is not afraid. Mm-hmm. And the truth is like, we're all afraid and hiding behind our screens, <laughs> yeah. hiding behind our screens to be like, oh my God, until I can't, I can't let this out until I've figured it out. Um, yeah. yeah. I just have to say, since you brought up social media, it's been on my mind so much lately. And I've been going on Instagram and just kind of scrolling through the feed and noticing probably 50% of the posts are inspirational just mm-hmm. because of the people that I follow. And there, there's a lot of quotes and a lot of you got this and don't let yesterday hold you down. And, and I, sometimes I just feel like, can we just tell the real story? And like, I just want to say, yeah, it's hard sometimes. And every day is not magical. (laughs) And I think that that's a much more important story to be telling because it's true. And I don't know, it's just, sometimes I feel like there's too much of that out there and not enough of like, you know what, like, you might need to cry in the corner for half an hour today, but that might be the thing that's going to help you get to the next step. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the things I talked about in the book was, was having pity parties. Like it is totally okay to have a pity party and it is okay. You know, I hid in my bed under the covers a lot to try to get through the, even the thought of having brain surgery. And I think that that's so important. And I, one of the best things that someone said, you know, when something is happening to people we care about, 
we trip over our words to figure out what to say to them, or we won't even call them because we can't figure out what to say. And the best thing that someone said was, Lori, this sucks. I'm sorry. This totally sucks. And you know, there's nothing to say about this. And it's okay that this sucks because some days are just gonna, just gonna be hard. And that kind of permission from her was so helpful. Like it's okay to say this sucks. Yeah. And so I feel like that's the thing that I repeat a lot. So I feel like now I have to post something like that on social media. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. A couple of weeks ago, I was at my prenatal yoga class and I was, we were doing a check-in and kind of going around and talking about how things were going. And I was having a pity party for myself on my mat. And I said to the teacher, you know, everything's really hard. Like breathing is hard and sleeping mm-hmm. is hard. Walking upstairs is hard. And I think I was telling her that because I wanted her to show sympathy and maybe come over and like rub my back. And instead she just goes, yeah, it's going to be awful. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what? And I just wanted to go cry in the bathroom. <laughs> and then when I got home that night, I was like, that was the best advice ever. Because I really just needed to hear that, like, it was all normal and it was all fine and it was going to be hard and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I want to talk a little bit more about your book. You have more than one book. Can you talk about I'm Scared and Doing It Anyway and your other book and where we can find them? Sure. So I'm Scared and Doing It Anyway is, is, a, is a cute little short memoir. It's not very cute, actually. Though my other book is cute. It is a short memoir, <laughs> and it's about a brain tumor and how it changed my life. And what I would say about it is that it starts really with the realization, the stuff that we've been talking about. And the whole rest of the book is about choices. Because when bad things happen, when something happens in your life, we, it can feel, we can feel powerless. We can feel like things are happening to us. And even I use my story, even in my speeches, I use my story to really show the moments that we feel like we have no power, we actually still do. And we have power in our choices. So the rest of the book is really about the choices that I made in my life and how that propelled me forward. So, so that's, that's book one. And book two came out a couple years after that, and it's called Simply Leap. Seven Lessons on Facing Fear and Enjoying the Crap Out of Your Life. And speaking of snacks, it has a cupcake on the cover. Yes. Because, (laughs) yeah, so even though things suck, it's also really great to enjoy and celebrate everything as much as possible. Because that's another thing that I learned from the tumor. It's like, why wait for anything? Why wait for laughing with friends and going for a walk and looking up at the stars and, you know, small things and big things. Sprinkles on cupcakes, always a yes. Yes. (laughs) Um, And so I actually, so that book is really, I hit hit the 10 year mark of my my business. And I, I thought back through the years to my most successful clients that I work with. I tend to work with A students like me around finding and growing more meaningful work and building their own businesses. And when I've looked at my successful clients and I imagined them all in a room together, I imagined what they'd be talking about and what they had in common because each one is so different. And the more I imagined them in the conversation, I realized these seven lessons came up, these seven steps that they all took in their own way to you know, leap in their ways. And so the, that book is really taking you through each of the lessons that I feel like they had in common and using their stories as the guide for how, you, how that could look in your life as well. 
Yeah. And because most of my clients and readers are A students, it also has homework assignments and most of them are pretty fun. <laughs> That's a, that does sound fun. Where can we find your books? Sure. They are on Amazon and Kindle. Awesome. And where can we get more information about you? Yeah. So yeah, we didn't even talk about hugs, but hugs are a big part of, so I'll just, I'll leave that one as, so I go on hug tours and I hug people and it's pretty fun. <laughs> yeah. No, I think you should talk about that for a minute. <laughs> okay. All right. So, cause that was one of the choices that I made coming out of the surgeries was that I was going to love more people in my life. I was really going to show people how I feel. And I feel like as adults, we can get that wrong we can overcomplicate hugs um, and hugs of any sort, physical or otherwise. We can overcomplicate them. And whereas like a three-year-old or a five-year-old's like, I see you, I care about you, I'm going to show you right now. And that's why they run and hug you because it's like right now, I'm going to show you right now how I feel about you. And why can't we do our own version of that as adults? And so I decided to announce on social media when I'm heading somewhere. And if I know you, because this is really important, as opposed to like the free hug movement, this is if I know you, I'm going to come to your office. Even on a Tuesday, regular old Tuesday, I will come to your office and give you a hug. And, and the conversations that I've had out of that, so on my website, which is simplyleap.com, there's a hug hug page, simplyleap.com slash hug. And you can see a video of me being followed around on camera from CBS News, hugging people. But then also you get this great hug wall of all just photos of hugs that either people have sent me or from my own hug tours. And I've even talked to, I've been hired to talk to like tech companies and doctor's offices about hugging because hugging to me is the intention you set before you even do the hug. Like the hug takes care of itself. If you've thought 30 to 30 seconds to 10 seconds before you see someone and you recognize that you care about them and that you want to show them that moment, that intention, whatever you do after that is going to be special because you've thought about it for a second first. So hugging can be hand on the arm. It can be really listening. It can be greeting your colleagues at work. Good morning. It's the intention. It's the thought behind, I care about this person. I spend all this time with them. I see them every day at work, whatever. They're important to me. I want them to know. And so, yeah, so I do a whole I do all about that too. So you can also find out about that on my website. So do you send out a newsletter saying where you'll be so that people can reach out and say, I'm, I'm going to be looking for a hug when you come to my city? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Actually, that's a really good idea because I'm literally about to get on a plane tomorrow. So yes, apparently my newsletter is going out today announcing where I'll be. Yes, I usually do. Yeah, I usually do it on social media. I announced on on Facebook and LinkedIn, my next couple stops. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, good. So fun. Yeah. And yeah. And so I should also say on my website, I do free, if you sign up for my newsletter, you get free excerpts of both of my books. And you also get this kind of fun uh, video and worksheet on how to figure out your next leap. So like a very easy activity that again, all of my most successful clients have used to either figure out what they're, you're meant to do next. So that's usually the hardest part about a leap is to figure out, I, I kind of know I want to do something different. What is it? And as business owners, this, this activity can also work on how do you market yourself? How do you differentiate yourself? So it's a, yeah, it's, it's a fun, fun thing. 
Awesome. And I just have one last random question from one A student to another. How, on a scale of one to 10, how sexy do you think a perfectly sharpened pencil is? (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Okay. In my head, I was just like, no, no, where I went with that is what color is it? Because <laughs> then I went to like, oh, are they colored pencils? Because that that rates even higher. But oh my gosh, yeah, it's so great. What what color would you prefer? Oh, I think I was on purple. I think oh, that's yeah. where I went in my head. But Urbet, yeah. like I like. How about you? I just like the regular charcoal pencil. <laughs> like oh, oh, the number two, you're the, straight number two. Okay. Exactly. I'm old school. I like the really long, like when it's brand new and you just sharpened it and the eraser hasn't been touched yet. Like, I feel like the world is full of possibilities. Yeah. All pencils. is right in the world with that. Oh, the eraser is like perfectly pink. Oh, yes. Yeah. So good. <laughs> Okay, good. Well, Lori, thanks so much for coming on the show. This has been awesome. I can't wait to share the episode and tell everybody about your story and being scared and doing it anyway. Thanks so much for having me. There you have it, my interview with Lori. I hope you got a lot out of this this interview and took at least one nugget that you could walk away with and say, how do I want to implement this in my life? And if you haven't, maybe start thinking about that right now. This episode was sponsored by Told Video, original thoughtful storytelling for your brand. Here to help you with your next step in marketing, a meaningful video. Let your story out into the world and get it told. Contact Rebecca through June 1st to receive a pack of four 15-second social media videos along with your full video. Reach out for a free phone consultation and quote and to find out more at toldvideo.com. If you liked today's episode, please leave a review on iTunes. It does help more people find the show and it enters you into a drawing to win one of my books. So you can do that really easily and quickly on iTunes just by hitting rating and review. Well, that does it for me today, folks. As always... Stop waiting, start creating. I'll see you next time.